Hello and welcome back to Real Time Strategy, a podcast all about the gaming industry. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Mosher, joined as always for the last episode of the year by my co-host, Caitlin Redwin. Caitlin, how are you doing? I'm good. I can't believe it's our last episode of the year. It's I we've been doing this for like two years now. I know. Yeah, we actually I believe this is episode 52. So, uh, yeah, we've entered the back half of the quest to 100 and we're thrilled to be joined for this celebration of the end of the year, if you will, um, by special guest uh, PC gamers, Evan Lottie. Um, I asked to have pronounce his last name right before we started and I second guessed right as I said it. Evan Lottie, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Great to be with you, Sam and Caitlin. Yeah, terrific. Nice to be closing out the year with these kinds of discussions. It's really nice to be able to reflect on, you know, our covers this year with you guys, and uh, hopefully we'll be sharing some insights. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to to digging in. So yeah, what will we be discussing today? Uh, Evan is the global editor-in-chief of PC Gamer. He leads production of, PC, of the PC Gaming Show, and we'll be discussing something I get really dirty about every year, which is end of year lists, game of the year discussions, best of the year, yada, yada, yada. So we'll be digging into PC Gamers game of the year content, which at the time you're listening or watching this episode is in full swing. It'll be going through the end of the year. We'll also be discussing the recently aired Most Wanted show and more. So uh, Evan, when we have a new person on the show, we always like to start with kind of a warm up, a get to know you question. So in honor of this being our last episode before the end of the year, we'll be on a bit of a break um, next week. No new episode, but we'll be back in the new year. Uh, Evan, is there any games you're hoping to dig into over the holiday break? Yeah. You know, this year has left, I think, all of us with a very long list of unfinished or unstarted (laughs) games. Uh, for me, Alan Wake is up there. Alan Wake Two, um, yeah, you know, really have a lot of affection for Remedy because they're a Finnish developer. That's part of my heritage, so I have to sort of, uh, you know, maintain maintain my connection with them and knowledge of what they're up to. Um, but obviously, like you know, in Alan Wake Two, they really leaned fully into their lessons from Control, which was such a you know acclaimed and, and celebrated game, rightly for its like specificity and. Um, you know, you know, weirdness, <laughs> which they do so well. Uh, so that's definitely at the top of my list. And then beyond that, I'm hoping to come back and spend more time with Lethal Company, which is one of these like mm. end of year breakouts mm-hmm. that we saw from, you know, the independent side of PC gaming. Um, I'm going to continue to play this interesting pinball game that released uh, late this year called Xeno Tilt. It's the follow-up to Demon's Tilt, which is this really, mm. you know, sort of edgy, um, you know, stylish and, and, and sort of like, you know, it, it, it feels like you're doing a, a narcotic playing the game, <laughs> like, frankly. Um, it, it's just like so filled with light and sound and um, you're sort of fighting these like cybernetic uh, creatures and on the pinball table. And, and actually, one of the most interesting things about it, if I can just continue to... Um, spotlight it is please i have an ultra wide monitor and the game supports vertical aspect ratios Mm. right so so like nine by 16 as opposed to 16 by nine right so i can turn my monitor vertically so it more closely mirrors the the shape of a pinball table uh so that's pretty cool i haven't been able to do that before with any game i've played in the last you know 30 years so you know, PC gaming continuing to find ways to uh, get the most out of our hardware. 
I love it. I love it. Um, I never really considered using an ultra wide monitor for that pairing it with a pinball game. That sounds perfect. Do you find yourself mostly playing still at your desktop or, or has the Steam Deck changed the way you go about PC gaming at all? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I've got a Steam Deck here and it, it lends itself certainly to a handful of genres. Um, you know, platformers, uh, turn-based strategy, I, I feel like if you're on an airplane or something like that. But, you know, I, I play multiplayer predominantly. I play a lot of first-person shooters. Um, so, you know, I'm going to want the, the highest refresh rate of my monitor. I'm going to want my keyboard <laughs> for that experience, of course. So I haven't really switched over to, to becoming a, a mobile or couch gamer as a result of that. But it's a nice kind of satellite device that allows me to, you know, augment those experiences and also like to be able to plug it into the TV. I think, um, I'm expecting to play like the, you know, the Jackbox games, which are so terrific. Yeah. I, I love digging into those with, with family over the holidays mm -hmm. and you can just kind of take your steam deck and plug that into the TV and you're ready to go. Um, so that's mainly what I'm using it for so far. Nice. Yeah. That's a great point. So, you mentioned Alan Wake too, of course, I'm sure that will be a part of not just PC gamers, but any big sites, uh, end of year content uh, we saw it, of course, um, tie nominations alongside Baldur's Gate three at the game awards. So getting into PC gamers game of the year and year end content, just starting off with, uh, what can people expect over the next few days and weeks, uh, from the site? Thanks, Sam. Yeah. So, you know, we, we try to put a lot of effort into, uh, this year of coverage, um, you know, th this kind of specific period, it's, um, like you said, been such an interesting and, and <laughs> saturated year with, uh, all kinds of interesting titles. Um, so we definitely want to like remind people of stuff that they might've missed, uh, for one thing, you know, there's a huge focus on curation from us. We, we see that as like one of our greatest responsibilities in, in a period where the, the market is so saturated with games. Um, so, you know, we, we sort of find moments to, refer back to games that might have been missed along the way. Uh, but, but likewise, you know, revisiting the major news stories um, and sort of, you know, re-encapsulating their meaning. So, you know, we've had like lawsuits, we've had, you know, layoffs have been one of the unfortunate, um, you know, trends of this year. So finding ways to, to capture those issues and sort of, you know, put a, a stamp of meaning on them that sort of, you know, punctuates um, what might've been like three or four or 10 different headlines throughout the year, but sort of tying a bow on those issues and, and sort of bringing them together in, in a single clear narrative, hopefully. Um, you know, the other thing we think about is just, I remind our team of editors and writers that this is a time when, you know, the people reading our stories, they're going to be at their family's house. They're going to be at the airport or something typically. So, you know, that context matters. It's, you know, most of us are on vacation during this period. So we want to be leaving people with stories that are building the relationship with their hobby that we all love, right? You know, that are sort of, you know, either nostalgic or reflective or indulgent in some way. So there's a little bit more of that focus. Um, and then certainly like, we're also just thinking about 2024, you know, there are some noteworthy games around the corner in January and February, uh, like a dragon and Tekken 8 and Suicide Squad are probably the highest profile ones, but you know already that early calendar looks pretty interesting. Um, so again, preparing people for that um, and just giving them a sense of how to plan their time with their friends and, and themselves. 
I love it. And and I know if previous years are any indication in terms of what the game of the year coverage looks like from PC Gamer, there are genre or mechanic or, or design specific awards. There are one of my favorite things that PC Gamer does is each staff member um, putting out a piece highlighting their um, favorite game of that year. Um, will that be similar this year as well? We're recording before it's really started rolling out. Yeah, thanks so much, Sam. So, right, we have about, I think, 12 or 13 individual awards um, that are basically genres, and we can talk more about that. Uh, so those will be rolling out one day at a time to kind of give them their own moment in the spotlight. And then in addition to that, like you said, our team of about 28 editors around the world will be sharing a different game that is that did not happen to receive an award that they consider to be their personal pick of the year. And we're, we sort of allow every writer and we, we challenge them to sort of, um, you know, make that sincere case of what that game meant to them. Um, so like mine, for example, just to sort of tease it is going to be Jagged Alliance three, you know, really interesting strategy game that I love this year. Um, that didn't happen to win an award from us. You know, other writers in our team are going to be highlighting games like Amnesia, the bunker or the dead space remake or age of wonders four. So, you know, we just, again, want to like, <laughs> there's so much to talk about <laughs> in a year like 2023. So, you know, really allowing for that breadth of coverage to support that is, uh, part of our approach. I was going to say the, for the year game of the year, um, and game awards at the end of the year, best ongoing game actually came out this morning, which is Warhammer 40,000 dark tide. So the, the first awards out and looks like you guys are having one award every day through December 30th. So by the time this episode's out, like best stealth, best remake, um, should also, should also be up on the site. Everyone should go check it out. But yeah, I, it's an interesting way of rolling out awards instead of doing it all at once. You're kind of giving each game its own moment, um, which I really appreciate. It's you get to kind of dive more into the games. And I like that each staff member is also doing their own like personal picks. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that kind of rollout. Oh, go on, Evan. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So it, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, our, our awards change year to year. Right, so uh, there's a little bit of shift there in the the categories uh, that we're awarding in, and, and as you mentioned, uh, Caitlin, you know, we, we gave a, a best ongoing game today that went up today for for Dark Tide, which is you know a, a great example of a game that had a bit of a rough launch in some ways. You know, was still like a really interesting, <laughs> probably the best you know Warhammer 40k game we've seen, and there's been dozens and dozens of them. Um, but yeah, interesting to highlight those kind of. Um, you know, updates and, and support that a developer is giving after launch uh, and to kind of highlight that story. Um, but our approach for these, right, is, and, and you know, PC Gamer has been around 30 years, so we've had a lot of uh, swings of the bat to kind of determine <laughs> what we, what we want to do here. Um, but our approach is basically to poll in, informally the entire team in a spreadsheet and just say, hey, pick the, the five best games of the year for you personally, you know, what do you think is worthy of awards in general? And then from there, we have a short list, you know, a tally of, you know, how many people voted for Alan Wake, how many people voted for, you know, Baldur's Gate and other games. And in there, it's sort of like an argument process um, where we talk through and, and come to decisions. And we can dig more into that. But, you know, basically we have that simple tally that determines, you know, which games are, are most recognized by the team 
and from there we, we discuss further. Um, but basically, right, we're, our, our approach is instead of um, trying to fill preset categories, we instead find labels that are accurate, you know, in terms of those categories for the games that we like most. So, you know, mm. if there's a fighting game that we like most, and you can see that in, in our list of awards that we've, we pre-mentioned, right, we're going to award that best fighting game, for example, as opposed to, right, if for whatever reason this wasn't a particularly dynamic year for racing games in our eyes, we wouldn't want to just find, like, the best racing game that happened to have announced in 2023 and given an award, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there's definitely, like, it's not like we believe this is the, the best and only approach, um, but it's the one that we've ended up on that kind of makes sense for our magazine, our website, our team. I think certainly like yeah. rankings are, are another cool approach that we we see on other sites for game of the year. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of doesn't, it doesn't box you in and for reference, some, some of the awards that I think stand out as you don't often see, or it's like best open world, um, best expansion, um, maybe best setting. Like those ones kind of stand out as not your typical category, but like you said, if there's a game that like really stood out, in this particular like aspect, it's, it's great to be able to highlight that in, in a way without kind of, yeah, shoeboxing yourself into like preset categories and games are always changing too. It's yeah. Like you said, like maybe there's only one racing game comes out and it's like, well, that's not really fair. And it, was it just okay? Like, do you really want to like call attention to something where you're like, eh, it's fine. Maybe it's the best racing game of the year, but like, didn't have much to say this is i'm not there's no subtext there i'm not sure if there was a great <laughs> racing game that came out yeah. this year or not i don't play racing games often um just an example yeah yeah you know i love your guys's reaction to this right because you know part of our attitude and yeah, genres have meaning right like it, it means a lot to be called the best rpg of the year the best shooter etc et right but genres are also kind of annoying in some ways and and, and they're <laughs> you know disgu discussing them is such a fraught and I'll, I'll say like one of my my least favorite topics in gaming like i mean recently we with regard to the game awards we had this conversation about what's an indie game right mm -hmm. um and that's that's almost like a it's a cultural conversation it's also an economic conversation in addition to like the semantics of being a thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we found that like giving us a little bit of wiggle room to notice that like, hey, like this, this genre has changed or, or our definition of it has altered a little bit over time or this new, entirely new genre has emerged, you know? Uh, I'll have to look back. I don't know if we've given a Battle Royale game of the year, for example. I, I think we've probably just awarded an FPS or multiplayer, but, yeah. you know, like it feels like every year now there's some interesting variation on a variation. We, we get extraction games, for example, over the past few years, you know, vampire survivors, what would you call that? You know, who, who cares ultimately? Uh -huh. Right. <laughs> but, um, at, at the same time, we want to respect the fact that like from a developer's perspective and from a marketing perspective, like, yes, it has meaning to be called the best adventure game or the best story. Like, you know, so we want those labels to have, some utility and purpose in that sense. They, sh they shouldn't be so uh, made up or, or specific that they kind of don't resonate with the audience. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, also not having them be too rigid over time. Yeah, 
I, I also appreciate that you guys have best remake as a category because you said like there's this whole conversation around what's an indie game. I feel like we're kind of in that category of like do remakes deserve to be like in game of the year awards or like best game, which uh, to me, if it I guess it just depends. It's kind of one of those things where it's like it's a feeling where you're like playing it. And you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, they like rebuilt this game from the ground up. That's completely different from the original. And most remakes, I think, deserve to be in any categories but it's kind of interesting to see it that as a its own category because we've i don't know if we've entered a period or we've been in this period for a while where we're seeing lots of remakes just how i think just how the industry is growing and how long it's been since a lot of games have come out it's kind of a natural progression and it's, it's nice to see that recognition for something that sometimes get over gets overlooked as an art form and category. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, it, it's fun. I mean, seeing make the awards work for you. Don't work for the awards. Like this idea of, you know, not just being like arbitrarily stuck in certain buckets. I, I, I love that idea of picking the categories based on the games you want to recognize and not the other way around. Um, you know, one thing I always follow some like memes or jokes around the game awards is like the best fighting game category. Cause Oftentimes, there might not even be five notable fighting games released that year. Um, so, you know, picking the awards based on how that year shook out, um, I think, is is a, is a good call. And I'm excited to see, um, you know, what games you wanted to recognize and how they were, you know, what specific you know facets of them were recognized this year. So uh, I'm curious, Evan, this process, you know, the the deliberation, the 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 tallying, everything. How early does this start? When does the the game of the year editorial discussion start at PC Gamer? Yeah. So, you know, typically in October, we're doing that initial kind of long list to, to give us a sense of, you know, how the awards might be ending up. Uh, you know, certainly we're finalizing that sometime in late November you know, ahead of like the game awards itself in early December. And, and obviously like, you know, we leave the door open for kind of late comers, you know, if there's some major release in December and there actually have been a couple notable ones. Uh, we want to at least be able to consider them <laughs> for those awards. But, you know, at a certain point we need to make the decision and put um, all this coverage in process. Um, so yeah, from that initial tally that I mentioned of our entire team kind of voting on their personal five. So that's what, you know, 30 people times five, right? 150 votes, basically, you know, we have a, a list of what's most voted for. And then we go into a, a really a qualitative uh, discussion, right? On arguing out the merits. It, it's not purely based on which game got how many votes. Um, you know, we definitely leave the room for people who are particularly impassioned on specific games. And frankly, we have to count on uh, those members of our team. You know, we're, we're lucky to have almost 30 people on our full-time editorial team. And, and naturally, like we, we, you know, those, those folks separate into different specializations, whether it's like specific franchises or genres. So we want to rely on them when they say like, hey, Street Fighter VI was unbelievable. It was a revelation, you know, so on and so forth. We want to allow that to, you know, if they're persuasive enough to overpower another game, for example, if, mm -hmm. if, um, you know, I think we're definitely concerned with like, what I'm saying here is not it, not simply being a popularity contest. I think any voting process that uses, um, you know, just, just sort of like wide balloting where anybody can kind of submit anything, it, 
it creates the possibility of right the games that were just happen to be most played uh you know getting the most recognition so you know this this conversation process and it tends to be like a few hours <laughs> you know us, us getting <laughs> in, into a group call and sometimes we'll separate it into a couple different sessions uh with our you know us and uk editors in particular um yeah, just sort of arguing out and making the case for and, and sometimes against, right? Like there are like counter arguments that are delivered <laughs> for some of these games. So, yeah, you know, we're sort of seeing what the vibe is across the team, you know, revisiting a review in some cases, what updates have been made after launch. So we're having those sorts of conversations. Um, but really, it's, you know, it's it's not hopefully I don't I want your listeners to have this some sense that it's like some. <laughs> you know, backroom ritual that we're performing, you know, it, 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 it's, it, it's much like the conversations we're having here, right? Like, you know, what was special about Baldur's Gate? What did it mean to me? Were there moments of friction? You know, are, are there different experiences that people had on the team that were, you know, that kind of go contrary to what someone else is saying? How do we consider that? Right. And, and look, there, there, there is no like scientific process. It's, it's, you know, how you feel about games is highly subjective and, and like, we want to embrace that. Right. Um, but we want the list to be a reflection of our team, right? That's, that's all that we can do effectively. So hopefully we are, yeah, polling and measuring that in some way. Right. And, and so hopefully getting to the bottom of the intensity of those feelings and, you know, what, what it is that we uniquely celebrate. I think certainly as PC gamer, right. You would expect us to maybe, uh, put a little more emphasis on like the technical sophistication of a game or like how good are its graphic settings, of course. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, those are maybe the, the tiebreaker type things in, in some cases, for example. Um, but yeah, well, you know, as we were saying, right, we have a sense of the games that are most strongly felt about, you know, most beloved by our team. And then we are, start answering the question as, as the, as the kind of final step. Okay which label, which award name, which category you want to put under that. And I'm curious, Evan, uh, you've been at PC Gamer since 2008. You started as an associate editor. How have these, you know, how, how static has it been since then? What are the big changes um, like that have happened in the game of the year deliberation process um, from now to then? Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> and that's just an unbelievable amount of time uh, to be spending your whole adult <laughs> life writing about video games. But yeah, so it's interesting, you know, PC Gamer, you know, we're part of a parent company, a publisher called Future, who's headquartered in the UK. We have about 3,000 employees. You know, we have a bunch of different kind of specialist media brands like Marie Claire and Space.com, Tech Radar, these different kind of verticals that we cover. None of them are really like general interest news, right? It's all kind of hobbies and specializations. Um, so, you know, an interesting part of our history is, you know, for a time, there was sort of a, there were two separate teams at PC Gamer, our US and UK team, which sort of operated mm -hmm. in parallel. We shared some content, but in some cases we were actually producing two reviews, two differently scored reviews for the same game, which is like kind of unimaginable. You're sort of asking, why would we do that? Well, it just sort of descended from the way the magazine was produced. They were sort of produced for two separate audiences. So that's probably the biggest thing that's changed. You know, we've since, and, and long since, like way back in 2010, 2011, become a global team and started you know, fully collaborating as one on awards and these sort of big programs. Um, so yeah, that's probably the biggest difference that we're, you know, doing one set of awards. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think we, we've, we've never really, um, you know, 
completely reinvented this this wheel. You know, we've we've always sort of um, done about ten or twelve awards. Uh, you know, based on conversation and and a voting kind of initial process. So that's kind of the way it's always been for us. We've definitely talked about the the possibility of, you know, going to ranking, you know, going to like, you know, the, the number one game of the year, number two, making it a countdown and that approach. Um, but yeah, this is sort of where we've ended up. Um, I think certainly, you know, one of the things we're, we're trying to anticipate is like, there is such a breadth of, of games. <laughs> um, and you know, the way I think about it, and this is like one of the biggest trends that I perceive in the industry is just the greater fragmentation of gaming experiences, right? So I feel like when I first joined the industry and started writing in, you know, 2008, you know, up until maybe 2012, 2014, I would maybe describe gaming more as like, you know, a couple of oceans that, you know, mix together, like, like our planet, of course, you know, um, but, you know, you sort of have like strategy as one ocean, you'd have, you know, action and shooters, you'd have like blockbuster games, right. And, and you sort of like think of those as like really, really vast containers that contain a lot of different things. Um, but you could kind of migrate between them. There's sort of a feeling that like you could keep up with what's going on, um, even if you weren't sort of spending all of your time there. And maybe the analogy I would use to describe today is it, it's a series of like hundreds or maybe even thousands of very deep lakes, right? That actually mm -hmm. aren't connected in some ways, right? I mean, think about what it means to be a Call of Duty player or fan today as, as opposed to like 2010 or 2014, right? Like what kind of Call of Duty fan are you? Are you playing DMZ? <laughs> are you playing Warzone? Um, are you playing Zombies? Oh, are you playing multiplayer? Oh, what multiplayer mode in particular do you do you like? What rank are you? You know how good are you? Right? Like, it's it's like games within games, and that's just one franchise, right? And then you know, obviously the the longstanding trend of these we call them skyscraper games on our team, but you know, there's a lot of different names for them, just like service games that you know have five mm. or ten year long lifespans. So, right, understandably, those games are richer and more interesting, I think, than they were 10 years ago, five years ago, even. So they're demanding more of some of our time, right? <laughs> and, you know, for those folks, they're, they're building a relationship with those games for, yeah, d you know, many years. <laughs> and I think it creates a kind of gamer that didn't quite exist as much in, uh, you know, 2012, 2010. So, I think we continue to think about just how we see everything, right? You know, we're, we're a team of about 30 people spending all of our time thinking about games and reading press releases and asking questions, doing interviews, right? And there's still stuff that catches us by surprise. So noticing that, we, we have to assume that the audience is in a similar position, <laughs> right? Uh, with even less time than, than our full team to kind of keep track of everything. So I think, you know, we're continuing to develop programs and, and forms of coverage that allow us to really highlight everything and 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 highlight the just the the, the spectrum of of weird and interesting stuff that is happening at the fringes, but also like you know the two hundredth update to Warframe or you know the mm -hmm. latest expansion for Crusader Kings and like what that's done right because the richness the richness and depth of all these games has gotten it's increased right over time. And 
I just think we have to reckon with that as a landscape and what that means for us, what's that's meant for the audience. We're, we're so far removed from that time in gaming when like, you know, a blockbuster action game like Batman came out and it felt mm-hmm. like you know, Batman Arkham Asylum and everybody played it. And it felt like that was one of the most discussed things for like two or three months or the original last of us or borderlands, right? Like mass effect, right? Just like these defining annual games that just like everybody played. I mean, those exist in, in a form for sure, but like it's, um, it's just interesting. Like, you know, our, our time, the amount of time we all have as human beings is not increased (laughs) right in that period. So I think we have to continue to, um, put our eyes in as many of those places as possible as, as, as deeply and thoughtfully as possible. And that's just challenging, right? Because, um, you know, uh, that's a finite resource. So yeah, just as it comes to awards and like coverage and like, you know, roundups and we're continuing to find, you know, new forms and new franchises that we can bring to audiences to really make sure that we're describing the industry as as it exists, which is an incredibly fragmented landscape as I see it. Yeah. And I was just thinking, I'm like, if Sam and I, like, we couldn't even do our own like game awards because like you've mentioned and you've been kind of talking throughout it's like the game the games industry is is so vast there's so many games and this year just proved like i can't finish all the games that are coming out i've finished like two games so far one of them was spider-man 2 and the other was um oh i can't even now i can't even remember because i just keep starting games because i want to try everything and then not being able to finish it because something new comes out and I have FOMO and I'm like, I need to try every single game that's come out, but it just, it's impossible now to like talk about games, every single game as a whole. It's just, there's too many. So it's kind of, it's nice to be able to find your niche and you guys are kind of catering to all of these different niches within the industry and people can kind of find their area that, what they want to read about, the games that they like. Um, the simultaneous, I, think, yeah. I, I like the analogy you said about the the lakes, like the simultaneously both like yeah. deepening of whether it's the Call of Duty lake, the Warframe lake, the Final Fantasy 14 lake, but then <laughs> seemingly every day there are more lakes created. So the, the it just keeps getting wider as well. Um, and I got to think of all the, you know, you, you mentioned at the top talking about like the future and the, the hobbyist nature of many of the sites, like, PC gaming specifically has just got to be so challenging and, and often overwhelming because of all the little pockets of, you know, platform specific gaming, PC gaming can can be the most intense and the most like, you know, the active Reddit threads and message boards and Steam communities, whereas like, you know, there probably isn't as much conversation going on about Super Mario Brothers Wonder on the Switch as much as I, I do love that game. So yeah, I, like I you am, said it, um, yeah. oh, you're yeah, going, Evan. No, please go. Yeah. I was going to um, ask, like, which pockets do you find yourself most invested in? Like, w- which lake are you swimming in most? <laughs> That's good. Yeah. You know, um, f- for me, my most played game in the last two years has probably been Hunt Showdown. Um, it's an extraction mm-hmm. shooter from Crytek. It's, you know, 18th century Louisiana cowboys and, uh, supernatural monsters. Um, you know, as a lifelong multiplayer shooter player, I, I think, um, 
the extract you can understand why extraction shooters appeal to me very strongly they're an evolution of battle royale which is an evolution of like military simulation which is an evolution of like just general multiplayer fps um so yeah they kind of represent a evolved taste that sounds like i'm patting myself on the back too much but like you know someone <laughs> who makes a career out of this like they represent such interesting design and and uh, richness and like they're very intricate mechanically, right? So they're just, you know, pandering to me personally, it feels like. Um, so yeah, I think that genre, that game in particular is one I spent a lot of time with. Um, the other shooter I play is Rainbow Six Siege, which is such a success story for Ubisoft. I mean, you've got to remember that like Ubisoft before 2015 didn't really make multiplayer games, didn't make multiplayer service games, certainly, and has really built a a real long-standing franchise that I think will continue beyond this game in Siege and learn how to do it all along the way, learn how to do esports presentations, right? Um, so yeah, that game continues to get like multiple updates per year that are meaningful and interesting, um, you know, great social multiplayer game. So yeah, those are the lakes that I'm in. But yeah, it, it's, it's just so interesting, right? Like the, the people that are playing Rainbow Six Siege, um, they don't really know what it's like to be a World of Warcraft player necessarily in, in, in 2023. Mm -hmm. They don't know what it's like to be a Dota 2 player, right? Like that that's kind of what I mean by this analogy of lakes versus oceans, where it, it felt like there was some shared experience. There was some universal experience of what it meant to be a gamer or a PC gamer in 2015, 2014, right? But, but somehow, yeah, as these niches have each become richer over time, right, um, people inhabit them and they sort of get a little bit more closed off to the other stuff that's out there, right? And, and of course, I'm generalizing, you know, there are some people that play as much as they can and, and you know, a broad variety of things, <laughs> but um, th that's just kind of what we see. And um, yeah, I think we have to respect that as, as uh, professionals in the industry and how we cover, how we talk about games. I think it's certainly, you know, one of the things I think a lot about is um, some, some people, you know, that I talk to, they sort of see PC Gamer as a specialist publication that we're, because we're focused on one platform, one area of gaming. Um, but I actually say that we're a generalist because if you compare us to the content creators and, and other figures who are spending years of their life focused on one game, and there are hundreds or thousands of them, right, <laughs> who are doing this professionally or, or in some, you know, sort of hobbyist fashion. Um, well, gosh, like we're not waking up every day spending only our time with <laughs> World of Warcraft or, you know, just strategy and or just one genre, right? So, yeah, such an interesting landscape. Um, and, you know, I think what you'll see us continuing to lean into in, in, in kind of response to this environment is describing the entirety of PC gaming. You know, that's, that's sort of where I see us best positioned to do, um, you know, describing the whole and, and certainly awards are, are a reflection of that. Um, but yeah, describing the health and trajectory and trends associated with PC gaming and sort of how they coalesce into, into hopefully <laughs> easy to describe ideas. I, I have a question about just some coverage that I've seen on PC Gamer as of late. Um, in res I'm referencing the the Fallout TV show um, because anybody knows like Fallout, it's like a game you can play on your PC. The Fallout TV show is not a PC game, um, but I, you guys have been covering it as of late. And I'm not familiar if you guys have been covering adaptations. Is 
is this something that is new to your guys's coverage? Um, is it because are you finding your audience is also interested in these adaptations, even if it's a PC game or not? Um, I'm just I'm kind of interested in your guys's like the the widening of your coverage is it's not is just like so specific. Great question. Yeah, you know, I think certainly we've seen uh, some of our peers. You know, there's been great coverage of television and, and film and comics, even on places like IGN and Polygon. You know, they do a great job of of digging into those areas. And you know, I think our audience. Uh, it's interesting. You guys are, I'm sure, familiar with this, right? Like PC gamers are understandably a little bit protective, a little bit zealous sometimes about like <laughs> their platform. So. You know, certainly we, we get that feedback sometimes and, and, and it encourages us to kind of stay in our lane to some extent. But yes, like this trend of interesting and, and just good, you know, uh, adaptations in, in film and TV of games, it's it, it's something we continue to see. There's a number of these in production. Um, so we, we've, we've started to see them really since The Witcher, um, you know, on Netflix a, a, as sort of an extension of people's love of these franchises. And, and you could even say, yeah, it's one of those deepening lakes and what it means to be a Witcher fan. Well, have you watched season two yet? You know? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that's what we're, we're catering to. Um, it's there's, you know, the Witcher in particular had a tremendous amount of uh, search volume around it. And that is one thing that we use to decide coverage around. So, you know, SEO is a component of our coverage. It's definitely not the only thing I'd say we're predominantly a news focused website. Um, but yeah, when we see like, uh, a hundred people, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a huge amount of people are searching for, um, Witcher book order, book, book reading order, right? We want to have good supporting coverage around that because that's something we know that's like an area of expertise we can deliver. We can provide the context of like, here's why you should read this book first and what it, how it relates to the TV show and the games. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's part of it, but also like just we ourselves started watching these things, you know, more carefully and, and we found them interesting and, and worth commenting on. So th that that's really the number one thing that drives our coverage. You know, where does our curiosity lie? Where does our interest lie? Um, and definitely with the Fallout TV show, right? We've, we've seen that footage and been like, okay, like <laughs> you guys are taking this seriously. You know, Todd Howard's involved yeah. in as executive producer. They've made some great casting decisions. Um, when I was at the Game Awards in Los Angeles earlier this month, I had the chance to interview some of the cast, including Walton Goggins. And, you know, it's just apparent, like, they're, they're taking a really interesting approach here with that show. Uh, you know, the, the three roles that they've cast, they kind of represent three different players, three different avatars, as they were telling me. Um, and, and yeah, like, that has a direct relationship to what it means to be a Fallout fan and a Fallout player, right? Like, these, these things aren't really that divorced, um, even if they're, I guess they've said like the show will be canon, for example. So that has like maybe some interesting implications that we can dig into, <laughs> into what like Fallout 4 meant or New Vegas meant, right? We might like fill in some gaps there for our audience in terms of lore. So you, you can see how these shows have almost like compelled us to <laughs> take them seriously as they become more, you know, interesting, more sophisticated and a uh, bigger budget, for example. Um, but yeah, there's, there's just such a, such a big number of them that, uh, they almost represent their own entity, uh, for us to kind of, you know, revisit in news coverage and everything else. Yeah. I, thank you for that answer. It's, we've talked, we talk a lot about 
movies and TV shows on this podcast. My tagline is this is a podcast about the gaming industry, except when it's not, because Sam and I are huge fans of just that medium in general. And we've already, we've had our, I'm now mixing my words up in my brain. Um, we have worked on adaptations already. And yeah, there's there's a ton in the pipeline coming up. So I, I'm always personally and professionally interested in how that coverage is going to kind of start popping up in the games industry and in mainstream coverage. I just think the, I think these two industries are kind of merging right now and we're kind of seeing how, how do they work together? Um, how do we work together just from PR people and you as like reporter and editor and those at Hollywood. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to see and how this will kind of continue to grow and merge. You know, one of the things I've been surprised by, and it's almost, you don't expect it, um, is like how easy it's been for us to work with uh, PR <laughs> when it comes to these TV shows. I think there's this perception of Hollywood as this impenetrable, you know, um, hard to work with, uh, you know, community of people who are inaccessible and actually like, you know, in our outreach to Netflix and these other networks and, and and their handlers, like they've always just sort of put anything that they have in our hands immediately. They've given us access and opportunities and, you know, uh, screeners, for example. So in some ways that's like a, a little bit, it, it's been easier. They've been easier to work with in some cases than some, uh, game publishers <laughs> who like sometimes withhold code until the last second, you know, where we have like just a few days to review a very significant game in some cases. So yeah. that, that's been refreshing and a positive change. Cause yeah, as you know, like some of these series they'll release all at once or some will be weekly or episodic. Um, so yeah, that's been refreshing and sort of, uh, yeah, a, a nice way of kind of expanding our set of relationships in a different industry. Yeah. I mean, that's great to hear because that's, I mean, what we hope um, just from our own work with like these adaptations and just as someone who works in this industry, we've definitely seen, and it's kind of why the stuff that's coming out now is better is they've, they realize that the gaming audience is its own separate audience from people who watch just TVs and movies for the sake of it being a TV show or a movie. They're not watching it because they played the game. It's completely different. And so they are, we're seeing that the studios have, realize that and that's why like todd howard is working on the fallout show what neil Druckmann had a, a, a hand on the last of us um nintendo was very involved in the super mario movie it's we're seeing these like there's this mutual respect that's happening um between publisher and studios and they're appreciating each other's audiences and going to both now instead of it being just like one or the other, which is, I'm assuming, and kind of like what I saw was happening before. It was like, okay, this is a, it's a World of Warcraft movie or something like that. We're just, we're making it for people who go and watch movies. We're not making it for people who play the game. Um, but now we're, we're kind of seeing the both happen at the same time now not just the opposite yeah very uh we we talked about the fallout show a couple weeks ago evan very jealous that you got to speak to to walton that's very cool <laughs> he was extremely charming and it, it, exactly who you think he is wearing multiple gold rings slick backed hair shook everybody's <laughs> hand you know like super friendly and, and like 
you know, thoughtful, um, yeah. So really good experience interacting with those folks, but the whole cast, um, you know, there, there were three of them there that we met, um, just really thoughtful about this role in this universe. Um, you know, it, it's not like they were bullshitting us on like whether or not they'd played a bunch of, you know, the entire franchise, you know, they're really seeing it for what it was and, and seeing what they could contribute. Um, and I, I just, you know, I have a lot of optimism in general about their direction. So yeah, we'll see. Nice. Nice. Before we, uh, you know, in, in conclusion on kind of the, the game of the year, year end discussion, one just question of interest personally, uh, looking back on these now 15 years of game of the year discussions and, you know, editorial, uh, decision-making are there any specific years or memories that stick out of like you know zoom calls or you know video calls arguments where you really went to the mat for a certain game you know what does this time of year make you think of yeah i, I think certainly um <laughs> you know in in 2020 we gave it to death stranding and that was an interesting one because it did reflect most of our team, the majority of our team, um, were really fond of that game. Um, I'm sort of, I was sort of somewhere in the middle, but there are definitely some detractors on our team on that game specifically that I think in retrospect have been particularly not sore, mm. but just sort of like, Oh, I wish it had gone to something else. Right. Um, and you can understand like for, for a game like that, that isn't exactly seen as a, as a PC game and in, in sort of its DNA, um, you know, there was some reaction from the audience around that, some some disagreement, of course, which is like only natural. Like our, our attitude is definitely that like, you know, we share our thoughts and our feelings and inevitably, you know, some people feel differently and that's totally great. Um, it, it adds to a hopefully productive and interesting discussion. Um, but yeah, I think there are instances like that, um, that as our team changes and maybe the people who were <laughs> most, uh, enthusiastic about those games um you know it that, that naturally changes over time as, as the composition of our team changes um but yeah i, I think like i've been happy that um you know in particular we've we've again talking about genre and semantics um we've stopped giving an, an indie game of the year i'm not sure exactly which year we stopped doing that um but from our perspective, like it's one of the best things about PC gaming. And, and it's just true, right? That like Valheim or Spelunky or Into the Breach, I think all three of those were game of the year award winners from us exact exist on much the same playing field as the biggest blockbuster franchises. And that's, that's more of an attribute of steam and, and like PC distributors, you know, other, other stores as well. Um, and I, I just think this notion of indie game and, and the idea of sort of compartmentalizing it into an award, again, it has some importance, it has some value, but I don't think for me personally that it quite describes gaming as it exists now, where something like Lethal Company or Among Us can come out of nowhere and be the most played thing in the world or yeah. you know, somewhere in the top 10, whatever your, your, your metrics are. Um, and you know, actually some, some blockbuster games struggle to meet that level, <laughs> you know, franchises that have existed for a long time. So for me, it's, it's like this, it's sort of a descendant of the fact that we're no longer buying games off shelves. That's not been true for most of us for a very long time. So in, in a digital storefront, right, there is still a notion of, um, 
shelf space. You know, there, there's like, you know, the steam, it means something to be featured on the steam front, front page or to be on a specific sales page, but everyone's kind of just in that system. Right. And there are discoverability mechanisms within that, but really everybody is just utilizing the entirety of the internet and word of mouth in general, right. To find, to be found. <laughs> so that's a positive trend in my regard. It, it means that these small teams can really make an impact and, and like win actual game of the year awards from us. It, you know, it, it, that has changed. And I think, um, you know, again, I'm just hoping that we can continue to find ways to recognize the fact that um, there are so many of these either like VC funded spinoffs of, of major studios, you know, people that have left Blizzard or Bungie that have gone on to find the, to found their own thing. And yeah, just like individuals or like three people who are making like Stardew Valley or something, right. That yeah. has had this outsized impact. And for us, like putting, putting that up there as, as like, oh, it's the best indie game. It, it's really shrinking. It's important um, to do that. We, we feel so, you know, as much as it's still a label that we'll use in some contexts, I think that's one of the more noteworthy things that has changed over time. Um, yeah, just just that level pl playing field and our team, frankly, recognizing that, yeah, like these quote unquote smaller games can actually be <laughs> highly important and, and more important than a, a given blockbuster on a given year. Totally agree. And that brings us nicely to another thing we wanted to talk with you about today, which is the PC Gaming Most Wanted show, which um, I, I, I won't explain myself, but uh, Evan, give us the elevator pitch and how it both spotlights, like you were saying, these blockbuster titles, as well as, you know, what, I mean, by definition, by some or taste or whatever others would call indie. Thanks a lot, Sam. Yeah. So uh, this is a broadcast show, the, the PC Gaming show that we've done since 2015. And it's, you know, it, it's a digital showcase, right? It's a pre-recorded um, presentation with a host uh, back in no on November 30th. It was hosted by Frankie Ward, but it's typically hosted by Sean Plot, aka Day9, who's a huge like esports legend and StarCraft player. And, you know, they help us to, you know, deliver and spotlight new game announcements, new trailers, and, you know, generally over about 90 minutes to two hours, um, you know, catch people up on the games that we think are most interesting. So this show, PC Gaming Show Most Wanted, um, is the second sh uh, broadcast that we do in a year. Um, only last year did we start doing two per year of these. And it's it sort of, you know, we wanted to sort of make these, give them their own purpose, you know, give them their own sort of template and approach. So we came up with this idea of a countdown, right? This this notion of, you know, because this broadcast is happening at the end of the year on November 30th, it's an opportunity for us to kind of declare what we believe to be the most anticipated games, which, as you know, is a longstanding tradition within gaming media outlets um, to kind of either rank or otherwise say what's most anticipated for 2024 in this case. Um, but we want to do it a little bit differently. Um, and, and this kind of relates to you know, what we've been talking about in this conversation, which is curation, right? Like even having 30 people who are focused 24 seven, basically on, you know, <laughs> what's happening in, in PC gaming, we still have some blind spots. You know, there's still stuff that we find a little bit later than we'd like to. Um, so we have this idea to open it up to a larger body of critics and game industry people, content creators to help us identify you know, what we collectively determined to be the most wanted games. And 
so like you said beyond just the the because easily and understandably there's a version of this show that is just the the pc gaming staff um curating and putting together what um this top 25 most wanted is but you incorporated uh what you've all coined the council uh which is a very fun idea i love i love a good proper noun what is the council and how how long did it take to put this group together to help you know decide the editorial of the of the show Thanks, Sam. Yeah, uh, we, we had a lot of fun with this. So, you know, from, from a starting point, right, like we just want to include a, a broad diversity of perspectives um, when building a list like this. I think, you know, one of our thoughts was that, um, you know, these lists, these lists of most anticipated games, we want them to have a clear eye clear criteria, right? That is sort of grounded in a process that we can stand up and that's transparent to the audience. I think, you know, one of our reflections on, you know, the past is just sort of that, like these lists, you know, they sort of feel arbitrary, arbitrarily selected sometimes in how they're presented to the audience. Um, you know, even if they're presented in a ranking, there's just sort of no sense quite of how the group ended up there. You know, wh why is this game the number three most selected? Why is it the number one? Why is it the number 12? Right. Um, and so, so, yeah, toward that, we, we wanted to build a more interesting process that the audience could ultimately, um, understand, you know, how the voting works exactly and, and how we get there. So yeah, this group called the council is really like it's PC gamer plus a group of external experts. Um, that includes game developers themselves, but also uh, content creators. And uh, we're going to be actually inviting other critics in the future in, in 2024. So yeah, voice actors, you know, uh, accessibility specialists, um, other kind of advocates within gaming and, and different groups. Um, so yeah, right now it's about 70 people, including the PC Gamer team. Um, it includes developers like Brian Fargo and... Um, Sid Meier, you know, other folks in there that you'll recognize in addition to like independent developers, you know, folks from smaller studios, uh, just to make sure that we're bringing in again, like a diver diversity of perspectives. So as a process, um, we sent each of these people a personal ballot. Uh, we actually found a way to use Google Sheets to um, send like individualized forms that we then pull using like some scripting and programming in Google Sheets. Uh, so everybody's given a list of games we actually randomized the list of games to avoid uh, like ordering bias, if that makes sense. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we did put a lot of thought into this. Um, so yeah, that initial list is sort of like, it's about, in this case, it was about 130 games that the PC gamer team selected, depending on your perspective, that's either a short list or a long list. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, so that, that group is able to vote actually on a scale for each of those games. So the scale is basically uh, it's it's five to negative one, and plus five would be like it's your single most anticipated game. It represents like the highest level of interest and enthusiasm you could possibly have for a game. You're following every update around it. You're you know you're counting down the days until it comes out, right? Mm -hmm. um, down to something like um, you know a, a one would be effectively like you're you're cautiously optimistic or you're, you're sort of, uh, you're, you're, you know, sort of keeping an eye on it uh, at a very low level and, and negative one would only represent if you were like actively 
not looking forward to that game <laughs> somehow like <laughs> you know and that's like in most cases like people didn't actually vote that way um it would only be if, if somehow like you had some some dim view of a game or a bad experience with another game in the franchise for example so yeah we collect those votes and we use an algorithm actually <laughs> that sounds ridiculous but <laughs> it, we, we wanted to have it this process be quantitatively grounded um you know it was important to us that like again we weren't just sort of doing a popular vote um you know not just counting up the game that received the most votes but actually factoring in a couple different um criteria and and really the the main one there is that um we weight the scores of these games based upon something called release certainty so mm. the pc gamer team for each of these games at the moment of voting kind of determines how how likely they think it is that that game is going to meet its predicted release date and so this is sort of a representation representation of right like how um you know how how imminent a game is right i think we all kind of know what it feels like to to have a big game be delayed it's sort of it means that like you kind of change plans in your mind of like when i'm going to play this and and all that um so you know we, we kind of read those signals based upon you know for example, has a gameplay trailer been released? Have, have we played it yet ourselves? Has a demo been released? Like these are all signals that like a game is imminent, that it's close to completion, right? Um, so we basically do a weighting based on that for each of these games. And that helps us kind of assure that like the most imminent games are being recognized over time. So to be clear, right, uh, this, this most wanted ranking is actually something we're going to be continuing throughout 2024. And it, it just happened to debut essentially in the, in our PC gaming show in November. So you can think of it as kind of a, a power ranking. Are you guys familiar with that format? Yeah. Yeah. So th that was part of our inspiration actually, you know, um, you know, if you guys follow sports, I know we're talking about uh, NFL a little bit, you know, power rankings are kind of a big thing, right? Like they're also independent of record a little bit. You know, if, if a team is like really on a hot streak or trending up, then maybe suddenly, even though they have a, you know, 650 record or something, they're the number one in the power ranking over somebody else. Um, so that perspective is what we're trying to share, right? Trying to like as a result of voting, you know, accumulate this sense of like, where does this group of experts enthusiasm lie? Um, and yeah, what I didn't mention there is just, um, we have some, some stuff going on in our algorithm and it's, it's based on something called Bayesian averaging, <laughs> um, which I won't dig, dig into, but you know, <laughs> it, it's basically what, what IMDB uses and what even like Amazon product reviews, they'll use stuff like that. And it basically helps us determine, right? Like, okay, say like five people of our 70 are like losing their minds about this game um, that, that, you know, maybe the rest of the group just hasn't encountered yet or hasn't heard of. Um, to what extent should their enthusiasm overpower, you know, a group of people that are, have rated a, a game four out of five, you know, or say like mm -hmm. 30 or 40 people voted that game four out of five. And we have to make that decision, right? It has to be consistent and sort of, um, you know, deliver the experience we want for the audience in terms of highlighting games that we believe are kind of hidden gems and just making sure that the list isn't just purely a reflection of like, well, yeah, everyone's heard of, you know, the next cyberpunk game, everyone's heard of the next fallout game or elder scrolls when that gets announced. Right. <laughs> so 
Yeah, um, it, it's something new for us. It, it took a lot of effort to to build this and and um, figure it out. And I, I expect it's definitely something that's going to change over time as we get feedback from the audience. But our hope is right that like we have this kind of interesting system for polling. Yeah, like a really broad set of the industry, and over time capturing what we collectively see as as the most interesting and exciting upcoming game. And that's neat. A lot of the, the the fixes you've identified to help make this as you know simultaneously quantitative yet still um, you know curated at the same time as possible. Like you know, there's a very boring version of this list that could exist where it's just oh, Grand Theft Auto Six is at one, um, but you know, including <laughs> exactly. the. You know, and, and it was yeah. on there on the top 25, but yeah. like it was cool seeing Pacific Drive, Stalker 2, uh, Hollow Knight, Silk Song above it, um, incorporating these elements of recency and champions of smaller titles to kind of <laughs> make a list that isn't as obvious as it, it very well could be. Yeah, that's definitely one of the points. And, you know, I think we're going to continue to tinker with with that and how we present it. You know, for example, we're thinking about is there even like a second list beyond the most wanted that's sort of spotlighting deeper in the voting games that like three or four people voted their maximum score for, but just didn't happen to you know cross this threshold. Um, and and it, again, this is just another sort of franchise or. You know, hopefully, a, a, a solution that the audience really uses that has utility, right? Because mm-hmm. the the decision of which games to pay attention to, like that in and of itself, is is a feeling of FOMO that I think, as gamers, as as people in the industry, we're, we're just feeling at all times. It's as a baseline. You know what I mean? There's this kind of anxiety almost of like, what's happening? Am I keeping up? Am I missing out? Right? And um, you know, hopefully, with with this kind of broad spectrum voting, we're um, <laughs> at least providing one perspective that feels kind of, you know, a kind of consensus from, from many different places. And, you know, again, like I said, right now, the, the council is about 70 people, but we're, we're actually hoping to like expand that significantly in 2024 and invite a lot more developers and other figures. That's, the dog has a lot to say. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. We get deliveries no, here in the fun. daytime. As you can expect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So I didn't know that's a, I mean, I, one of our questions was, can we look forward to a most wanted show in, in November, 2024, but you know, without stepping on perhaps any editorial announcements, um, when can people look forward to the next update of the most Wanted? Is that how you see it? Like releasing regular updates or will it be even more regular than that? Kind of a living so much, thing. Sam. Yeah. You know, exactly. We want this to be a living list. And, and I think something like monthly is, is probably what we like to do. Um, but we're still kind of determining, right? Like how much Delta will exist between the lists if, if we vote one <laughs> month and another. And I think, I mean, e- even in the last month here, thanks to the game awards, frankly, like there've been so yeah. many new games that we want to consider. So I, I think that's what we'll be paying attention to, but yeah, I think certainly in November, 2024, we expect to return to this format and have it sort of be this nice encapsulating moment at the end of the year that has a little bit more prestige around it. But yeah, you know, you could almost think this as about this as um, a, a kind of like recurring r- award that will persist throughout the year. So, you know, we hope that we can find a way of kind of recognizing, okay, if a game is in the most wanted list for three consecutive months or six consecutive months, like that's a kind of achievement in a way. It's, it's showing that a game is like sustaining interest, right? 
So yeah, maybe there's like a, a, a special kind of recognition we can give or a badge that we can deliver to that developer uh, to kind of help them feel recognized <laughs> in that way. Or, um, or it's, or it does the opposite effect, and so they like silk song. Where we just never know <laughs> if it's going to come out, and it's always going to be anticipated. I know. Yeah, yeah. I joke. I joke, sort of. <laughs> yeah, we it's all interesting. Want the game. You know, like, yeah, there's definitely a few of those examples of, of, of games that kind of go dark for several years. But I do like the idea of like, you know, the Steam Next Fest is now something that's become seasonal, if not more than four times a year. And the idea of like, oh, the the PC uh, PC gaming most wanted uh, games that you can try out in this, you know, version of Next Fest, because so often that's tied with what demos um, can people get their hands on. I, I think there's a lot of opportunities there that I'm excited to see what happens. On the note of this first edition of the show, uh, one thing I was curious about was the the wish list portion of it, where a lot of I mean there were there were games on the most wanted list. I was extremely excited for. I'm gonna pull up my list right now so I don't get any of the titles wrong. Like of course, like Pacific Drive is extremely exciting to me. Stalker Two, I I hope is coming soon and in 2024. But um, Penny's Big Breakaway, Death Grip, Spine were all in the uh, wish list section talk about like how those games ended up there are those kind of developers you've built partners with and were um you know eager to participate in the show in some other form or fashion yeah that's right so you know the, the pc gaming show has always been just a broad showcase of you know the entirety of what's happening on pc gaming hopefully as best as we can contain it in about 90 minutes so you know, we wanted to continue to feature games that are outside of that list of what was voted on because inevitably there are some interesting stuff uh, that didn't make the list uh, that we still want to spotlight. And of course, yeah, the, you know, we we definitely rely on sponsors to help produce the show. So we allow folks to participate in that form. So if there's an upcoming game that still, you know, meets our interest and we think is worth, you know, putting in front of the audience, we're glad to work with them to produce something. So you know, in a few cases, we um, we actually traveled to studios around the world to film kind of to film these documentary style interviews. Uh, so for Path of Exile two and Homeworld three, which were on the list, uh, those are the approaches that we took to visit them in Vancouver and New Zealand. Uh, but there was another game that was not on the list called Unfortold Witchstone, which is sort of an interesting, recently announced uh, CRPG in the style of Baldur's Gate. And with that studio, we were just so so interested in you know, their approach and, and obviously the, the hype around Baldur's Gate had been so huge this year that we wanted to sort of dive deeper into that and spend like several minutes of the broadcast uh, showcasing that. So, yeah, I think that's just one of our goals. Again, I've, I've kind of said it a couple of times in different ways at this point, you know, we don't want to just simply be, a, you know, a popularity contest or, or putting forth uh, the biggest names, because that's definitely not descriptive of gaming as it, as it stands now. Yeah. That's very, I, I like the effort. I'm excited to see how it evolves. And as someone who is regularly checking in on like the ringers sports power rankings, I'm glad that hopefully I can have a, a new power ranking to check out regularly. I'm, I'm curious, just Evan, personally, what, what got a five from you? What's, what's on the top of your personal most wanted list? Yeah, I should, I should actually pull up my ballot here and see if I can find it. Um, oh, awesome. So I, I think, you know, <laughs> At, at the top of my list is, um, 
I think the Suicide Squad game, honestly, um, I'm a huge DC Comics fan. So, you know, it, it's been quite a long time since we've had um, a game in that universe, to, you know, at that budget, frankly. <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. definitely meaningful to me. I think um, I, I voted very highly for Homeworld 3 as well. You know, this is a technical showcase for, for, for PC gaming. That's pretty meaningful. Um, but in addition, it's just the sequel to one of the best RTSs of all time. So how can we not be interested in that? Um, yeah, you know, looking over what else I voted for, um, I think certainly, you know, there's this interesting shooter called Sulfur from an independent studio called Perfect Random. And, you know, it's just amazing what smaller studios and small teams are able to do (laughs) at this moment in gaming. Like, they're able to do procedural generation. They're able to do, you know, uh, really interesting art direction um, that you know, like we previously only would have associated with a, a studio of a hundred people or more. So, yeah, for me, like, <clears throat> I love the way that these independent studios are um, targeting, you know, styles of games that that maybe didn't grow beyond like their, the moment they had in like two thousand eight or something. Um, yeah, so that's an example of that for me. It's it's sort of an old school shooter. You know, I wouldn't call it a boomer shooter. It's not like trying to be Quake or trying <laughs> to be Doom or something like that. Um, it, it definitely has some some like modern twists on it. Um, and yeah, beyond that, I think you know we we continue to watch the um, uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines uh, sequel with, with interest. You know, that's a game that changed developers, kind of changed directions meaningfully. But it's in the hands of the Chinese Room, which is a really talented. Uh, studio in in the UK, I believe. Um, so yeah, I think those uh, topped my list. There's probably a, f- a few here that I'm not seeing immediately, but yeah, uh, quite a few already that that are on our radar for 2024 and beyond. Nice, Caitlin. Did you have any questions about the the most wanted show before we kind of ask our our closing questions for Evan? No, I think I think you covered them. I will say. The ones that I look forward to, you named a lot of them, um, but I'm also really looking forward to Hades 2, Frostpunk 2, and then, oh, there was a, not a sequel, what was it, Iron Hive. Um, recently got into deck builders with like uh, Slay the Spire mm. and really enjoy that game. I played that on my Steam Deck more than anything else. Um, and that had a, a really stylized artistic trailer that was really cool um but yeah that's i think those were the my top three that i'm i'm looking forward to but yeah i'll definitely keep an eye out for more of these types of shows and lists it's there were a lot that i had never seen before um a lot of that's because i'm you mostly a console player just because i feel like I sit at my desk all day to work and that I'm like, I can't play games here. Um, but I recently just got my own PC. So I'm, I'm dipping my toe into some, some new types of games. Yeah. And, and hopefully not feeling that FOMO too much uh, because you've got, you know. <laughs> oh, God, it's so bad. Yeah. You talked about anxiety and I'm like, look, I'm an anxious girl. It's, I got FOMO and I have anxiety. And, but yeah, I try not to get it too much, but there's, Looks like there's a lot of really cool games that are going to be coming out soon. Yeah. So, so in closing, Evan, we we've done you know 
by proxy of the topics we've covered today, uh, a lot of the cool things PC Gamer has done this year and some cool glimpses and things to look forward to next year. But just to ask directly, what is there any story or, or pieces of content in particular from this year that you want to highlight that you're particularly proud of, whether from you or, or the team at large? Thanks so much. You know, one of the things, and we talked a lot about these these, these sort of uh, lists and awards and um Hopefully, I'm, I'm not confusing any of your listeners here by uh, mentioning another <laughs> one. But one other franchise PC Gamer does is our top 100, and this is a, a longstanding thing from you know dating back to the 90s in our magazine. So it's an annual list of what's traditionally been the best games to play right now, and you know we did a major kind of rework of that franchise this year. And we actually migrated more toward what we've done for most wanted. So it, it sort of represents us not pivoting to, but like embracing uh, like quantitative voting um, as a way to determine these awards. So, you know, with our game of the year, whereas that's, that's essentially a, a qualitative process, it's mainly argument. We have that initial vote and that kind of gives us our list to start from, but it's mainly argument and discussion with the top 100, it's the opposite. We went in the, the different direction to kind of distinguish these further and make sure they have their own identity. So we voted on uh, a few hundred games on four separate criteria. <laughs> uh, it took a long time. And there were all, all those criteria, those, those categories were weighted differently. So yeah, oh, thanks so much for bringing that graphic up. So, you know, we voted on what we called the kind of personal rating, the, the quality uh, from our individual uh, subjective perspective on that game, uh, in addition to rating its importance. So its impact, um, you know, how it's changed gaming or changed its genre. And then we voted also on essentially like an accessibility or, or how playable it is today, uh, consideration, because you can definitely understand that like there are still some classic games that are actually unavailable on steam or, um, you know, are, are just like maybe not great experiences from, from an accessibility perspective. And then we also wanted to measure sort of the, the buzz or hotness around that game. Like how active is its community, for example? Can you still play multiplayer? You know, how populated are the servers, for example? Um, so, yeah, this was an interesting experiment. You know, I spent a lot of time in learning like new formulas and, and you know, ways of <laughs> expressing this in Google Sheets. <laughs> uh, I felt, felt like I got to use the, the full power of my you know, ninth grade math skills. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it produced something interesting. Um, you know, it, it, it hopefully, you know, again, through this voting process by essentially gathering a lot of data from our team on what they think on these different criteria, we're able to expose that to the audience and say, Hey, if you notice, like we consider to be team for, we consider team fortress two to be really important. It's maybe like not as good of a game compared to something else that we recommend right now, but it, its impact was tremendous. So yeah, you can see like these sort of, uh, I guess these are called spider graphs. Um, uh, you know, we have these, these ways of representing that visually. So I think we're going to continue to iterate and, and make this better next year. And, you know, are, have already got some improvements in mind, but like this is, this, this is an approach I'm really proud of. You know, I think again, it distinguishes our list from other similar lists of like the best games of all time. And, you know, definitely not to say like, we figured it out or anything like that. We definitely don't have that ego, but it, it was just really fun. You know, it's, it's fun to like 
put numbers on stuff. We really, we really enjoy that. Um, it can also be very dangerous work because the audience, you know, gets, gets to see what happens under the hood there. And you're kind of opening yourself up to like explain certain things, but like, you know, again, you know, I'm inspired by power rankings and like, you know, publications like the athletic, if anybody follows them, uh, you know, recent, uh, uh, recently purchased by the New York times in 2023, I believe, um, they, they do a great job of representing the data of sports. And of course there's so much to chew on there out of every, every game. Um, and we just want to continue to find ways of, of doing that sort of thing when it comes to games, because I think games are more, more living than they've ever been. They, they change more over time. They're more dynamic. So I just want to continue to find ways to, um, package that up and express it. And yeah, describe the entirety of, uh, what we're concerned with. Yeah. I love it. As someone who regularly seeks out lists like this and, you know, I'm interested in the the discussions that arise from it, uh, especially the, the creation of said lists of how important is the importance of said thing. It's, it's, is it playable? Is it, you know, actually seeing those represented by numbers is, is cool. And like you said, presents, you know, even, if there will be people inevitably because it's a list on the internet that disagree with it, it creates something interesting and fun to talk about. Yeah, that, that's definitely the goal, right? Because you can understand why it's a challenging exercise without, you know, some of the quantitative stuff underpinning it. You know, our main criteria in the past for this list, the top 100, was what's fun to play today, right? And, and that at least kind of centers it in this moment and how we feel um, because, you know, lists like this are particularly not prone to, but like nostalgia is a huge <laughs> thing you have to, mm -hmm. to think about, you know, how I felt when I played Deus Ex the first time in 1999. Well, it, it's, it was amazing. It, it, it's an impactful, important game, but I would, I would almost never recommend that to somebody now over <laughs> dozens and dozens of different games. You know what I mean? And that has to count for yeah. something. So you can understand like with, with these lists, I think one of my, one of my personal sort of, uh, you know, feelings <laughs> is just that, um, it, it can lead to a lot of apples and oranges, uh, kind of considerations where you have like the original Zelda up against, I don't know, portal two, and then like a mm -hmm. VR game. And then, the most recent God of War. And you're just sort of like, well, I don't know. How, how did you decide to order those? You know, it, it, it's, it's just, I've been in those conversations. It's very challenging, right? You're like, well, yeah. Um, this game I just played last year is, is better than a classic better than, yeah. you know, monkey Island. Well, I can't say that, but I haven't played monkey Island in 20 years. So, you know, so mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think we're just, we're just trying to like our, our solution to that. And, and again, it's definitely not the only one or even the best one necessarily, but it's what we've got, um, is at least to like expose how we got there, the, the, the numbers and the voting that hopefully represent that and, and help readers understand, okay, this is their criteria. This is what they value. And, here's how it kind of is, is parsed out in a formula. So yeah, like you said, hopefully that's fun for people to chew on and something we, we can return to uh, with other activities in 2024. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Uh, Evan, is there anything else from 2024 that you want to tease or, or promote for people to look forward to before we close our conversation today? Thanks a lot. Yeah. You know, we'll have a ton of coverage going up. Um, over the next few weeks, weeks here, I think, um, you know, we're really focused on 
what it means to be a PC gamer. That's kind of one of our, our themes I'm challenging our team to, to dig into. I think there are some interesting kind of underexpressed aspects of the PC gaming lifestyle, if you will. Um, you know, what it means to have, okay, here's one you guys will know, right? Like what it means to go <laughs> invisible on Discord, right? Because you just want a minute <laughs> to chill out and like, not let your friends know you're playing this other game that you don't play with them. You're not ignoring them, but like, you know, like that's a particular experience most of us have as gamers, but like no one, no one's really talking about that. So like, I love exploring stuff like that. Um, I think likewise, we, we think a lot about how we inhabit our desks. Um, I mean, you just mentioned it there about, um, you know, not wanting to play at a desk, which is a completely valid set of feelings and actually wanting to be somewhere else, especially if you're working remotely. Um, so yeah, I think we want to continue to help players and people, right? Like think through, uh, the decisions that we all make with our habits and our, our lifestyle, like ergonomically in some cases. Um, and yeah, hopefully be informed. So yeah, those are some maybe less expected things that we're focusing on. Um, we have a list of gaming TV shows and movies to look forward to. That's going to be going up on, on January 2nd. I can see here in our, in our planner. Um, and, oh yeah, we're going to be doing, <laughs> I think our headline for this is way too early game of the year predictions for 2024. So, you know, <laughs> oh, oh, give, give me ourselves a little bit of room there to like, you know, uh, you know really caveat those. Um, it, it's just fun to think about where we might end up and, um, yeah, pro we're probably going to be quite wrong. And like, I mean, certainly the last four years, four, five years here, like there's always some like completely out of left field thing that's unannounced that none of us saw coming yeah. that just outperforms and, you know, captures everyone's attention for several months. So looking forward to being yeah. surprised lethal, by that. Lethal Company, Mario Wonder being the game of the year pick at the Game Awards. It's, yeah, I, we'll probably do something similar because, yeah, we like to speculate and who doesn't who doesn't love to speculate um and get excited yeah. about things Crystal to come yeah. yeah also <laughs> i'm so glad you brought up the going uh invisible on discord because i am notorious for setting away on my playstation or my discord and i have never talked about that with anybody and i'm like i really hope i'm not the only one because sometimes i feel like an asshole when someone's like do you want to go on like play Fortnite?" and i'm like no i'm busy and then i'm like i'm gonna go play alan wake too but i don't want anybody to know i'm playing i just need alone phones on do not disturb like uh, sometimes we just need that like to decompress and not feel guilty about it no one should feel guilty about it but we're human but it changes the experience of gaming like that in particular right yeah. it's um for some of us you know you're sometimes performing that that notification like i and, and like maybe i'm more aware of that as like press or something but <laughs> there's this notion of like what are members of PC Gamer playing? And you're sort of telling your friends with with that little uh, you know subhead underneath your name on Discord, you're playing this right now. So like, I don't know, like that has that has meaning. It just does. Like you know, there's there's a voyeuristic aspect of it. Of like, what are my friends playing, right? And yeah, like you say, you're if you're like me, you have like you know maybe two or three pods of different people around the world that you play games with, or maybe you know different individuals <laughs> that you play certain games with. And you want them to feel kind of reassured that you're not ignoring them or yes, we'll still play on Thursday night. Like we always do or whatever, or no, I haven't abandoned this game for that one. But like, I mean, 
it's just funny how quickly those feelings emerge, like as a result of, yeah, like technology, but also just, um, these platforms that we use. Right. And, and like, can actually have a pretty outsized effect on <laughs> our habits, I think. Yeah. Well, lots to look forward to Evan. Where can the people follow you in the meantime? Oh, you know, it's a good question. It's, it's a moving target. There are, there are the sinking ships of, <laughs> of Twitter and, and, and others. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I would just maybe find, uh, I, I would direct folks to our end of year coverage on PC Gamer, which you'll find uh, throughout the end of December and early January. Um, but otherwise, I'm, I'm on most of the other platforms if uh, you're interested in finding me there. Perfect. Well, we'll link to the end of year content. We'll link to the top 100 most wanted. You can find all of that in the description. Thank you so much, Evan, again, for your time today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you about all of this. And we're looking forward to seeing uh, the TV list, the, the, the way too early predictions, most wanted, all of that in the new year. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed this conversation with you guys. You know, it, it's not often that we're able to sort of talk about our own work in this way. So, you know, hopefully folks found it useful. And um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's just we spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff and how we um, grapple with uh, this fast moving and, and frankly volatile industries of both online media and gaming. You know, they're yeah. both kind of changing every year in, in pretty meaningful ways. Yeah. Well, thank you for your insight and thank you all so much for listening. You can find the podcast everywhere at Real Time Strats. Email us questions at podcast at triplepointpr.com. And until we're back in the new year, have amazing holidays and a happy new year. And we'll see you then. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, everyone, for listening.